This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so super excited you're joining us today. Uh, we've got a good friend of the show, as they say, a good buddy of ours and a fantastic writer. Uh, you know him as the uh, New York Times and USA uh, Today bestselling author, Edgar winning author. It's a good friend, Spencer Quinn. And we're going to talk to uh, Spencer a little bit about the uh, latest book, which is I'm super excited about, Bark to the Future. Love those titles. It's uh, the latest in the Chet and Bernie mystery. So we're going to talk to Spencer a little bit about that and talk about the title and the writing in the book the uh, ongoing adventures as well as any new characters that are in the book and obviously talk to him about his master craft of writing so we'll pick his brain a little bit while we got him here so everybody hang tight we'll come back right after this commercial break you're listening to animal rights on pet life radio take a bite out of your competition advertise your business with an ad in pet life radio podcasts and radio shows There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining us now is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. He's also the, uh, that's of the uh, Chet and Bernie mystery series, but also he's the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Bowser and Birdie series, which is for uh, middle grade readers. So we're excited about uh, giving him kudos on that. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the adventures of Chet the dog and Bernie. Welcome back to the show. Our good friend, Spencer Quinn. Spencer, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Really good to hear your voice again. Yeah, absolutely. I always love, I love getting the books, obviously, because it's got some new exciting adventures going on uh, with our favorite characters and uh, the titles. We always have to ask about the titles, Bark to the Future. So I'm sure that came from your creative minds, or do you uh, turn that now over to the editors and say, uh, give me something snappy to put on the title? No, it's actually behind door three on this one, Tim. Uh What happened was, okay, so the Chet and Birdie Mysteries series, I should just back up a tiny little bit. These are mysteries that are narrated by the detective is Bernie and his dog is Chet. And Chet narrates the series totally, but he's not a talking dog. That's the key thing readers have to know. He's as canine as I could make him. If you know and love dogs, you know they've got a narrative going on in their head. And that's what's on the page. So the titles are all kind of punish titles. like dog on it, thereby hangs a tail, T-A-I-L, of mutts and men. But what happened was over the course, I thought of some of them. One of my friends thought of one. One of my agents thought of one. And then for the sixth book on Chet's Facebook page, which is an ad- the sixth book is an adventure where they actually leave the Western desert and go to Bayou country. So we just said on the Facebook page, any title suggestions, it's a Southern novel. And one of the titles that came in was The Sound and the Furry. And we took that. So 
now I sometimes crowdsource. So this title, Bar to the Future, was suggested by a reader. And on the pub date for the book, which is August 9th, um, that reader got a signed copy of uh, Bar to the Future. I love it. Yeah, which is, well, I love the title because it just fit the book so nicely. And people, just people out there, the Chet and Bernie readers are very creative in their own right. Absolutely. And you throw it back to the fans. And I, I love that aspect of it because they uh, obviously got a huge fan base that uh, just are always itching to get back to the uh, latest of the uh, Chet and Bernie mystery series, as well as finding out about what these exciting uh, turns and twists are going to be. But now you're including them in the uh, sort of the, the title and they get a signed copy of the book. So uh, yeah, yeah. the title, though. the rest is me. Okay. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I don't crowdsource the actual writing of the book. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even know how that would work. I don't think it would work in this case because these are, although it seems very simple, if you actually started to sort of take the engine apart, it's not that simple at all. And I'm not sure that every single reader <laughs> could reproduce it. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I work from the inside out. So I all the analysis that I'm now going to, you know, during this interview probably talk about are things I've really realized after. It's, it, I don't start with like a blueprint at all. I can see the blueprint after the book is done, but I work from the inside out. But, you know, one of the things that happens is when you, you know, the plot of a mystery novel resembles in some way, it's parallel to the solving of a real crime. You, you know, you add up a whole lot of clues and, and come to a logical deduction. Wow. Chet, the dog narrator, is incapable of doing that kind of thing. And even if he could, you know, when maybe an important clue was being revealed or was about to, he, he would sniff a cheese it behind the refrigerator, you know, where all the cobwebs are. And he goes in for that until he misses the link. So he's actually, in some ways, an unreliable narrator. And when you merge the unreliable narrator with this very strict form, you've kind of blown it up. Like it think of almost like these shards are now just kind of flying loose. They're unglued. And it's actually in these unglued spaces that the personality of Chet, which I think so many readers have reacted to, it's in those unglued spaces when you've blown the whole thing apart where Chet exerts himself, his real personality comes out there. And I think that's one of the things the readers like. But I didn't go into this knowing any of what I just said. I just sat down and wrote and this voice of Chet came to me and the setting I wanted to do, you know, a, a place in the United States where there's a vast wilderness, but it contains like a big metropolis inside. So I could have both because he's a dog, right? So he's an animal. So he could have adventures with other wild animals and be in the open countryside and the desert, but at the same time deal with city things too. So I set it in Arizona, the setting, it, Chet knows the area as the valley. It's kind of obviously based on Phoenix, except the vibe is much more Tucson. But those words don't appear, Phoenix and Tucson. It's, it's just the valley. So, but that came also at the very beginning that I wanted to do that. Because people ask me sometimes, you know, I live on Cape Cod. And so why isn't the Chet and Bernie series on Cape Cod? And the reason is this. I, I mean, I know Cape Cod very well, of course. But if I'm in a place and writing about it, I don't have to reimagine it. And if you're not reimagining, you miss a kind of vibe that would be on the page. So here, writing on Cape Cod, I'm writing about Arizona and the area, you know, New Mexico sometimes, areas I know well, but I'm not there when I'm writing about them. And it forces me 
to reimagine them. And I think that extra little sizzle is on the page. You can't see it, but it's there. And I think readers respond to that too. The big question I've got, I mean, the, the smart thing is uh, oftentimes writers will write about the, the areas that they're familiar with. Uh, they'll possibly come up with a fictitious town name and, and change the names of the, the people and the locations to protect the innocent, as they, they used to say. But when you pick up places like the Valley, which you have some knowledge of, obviously, do you feel it takes the reader away to a place that they may not know about? Or do you run the risk also of them picking your brain a little bit about, well, that doesn't happen in, in the Valley, or I, or I know exactly where you're talking about? <laughs> okay, so yes, the Western desert and all that is real, and I know it quite well. But I don't, all the towns and everything um, are, that, are, that, you know, that appear in the s- stories are, are made up. So I, I don't get those emails all in caps saying that could never happen here. <laughs> you know, you said East and it's actually West. I don't see, I avoided all that, but I think I made, I, I know readers re- respond to the evocation that's in the books of the place and, and what it's like, but that was kind of back, you know, and then the plot, each bark to the future is the 13th book in the series, but they can be read as standalone. So each one, has a you know a, a plot that's totally on its own beginning middle and end it's so that you you don't have to read book four to understand you know what happens in book five that doesn't happen at all you could start with bark to the future which is about i'm um, well p- readers often ask well you know how do you get the sort of basic idea and i never try to get the basic idea i don't do any active thinking like oh i've got to write <laughs> You know, a Chet and Bernie book contractually is due in December, so I've got to write it. What is it going to be about? I don't think like that at all. I, for the main idea that's going to drive the book, I wait for some idea to come to me out of the blue. If I don't get one, then I'm not writing. But on this one, here are some of the places where out of the blue idea comes. One is in the shower, and another is when I'm on my bike ride. So I ride my bike a lot. So I was out riding my bike one day, and I all of a sudden, just had this image of Chet and Bernie. They're driving on a, you know, on a highway ramp, you know, coming off a sort of freeway and in their Porsche, but I didn't know it was going to be another old one because they've destroyed three in the series so far. So this is the fourth <laughs> one and it's the most souped up of all and also the oldest. In this little image I had, they're on a, this ramp and traffic is slowing to a crawl and there's a man standing by the side of the pavement, you know, dressed only in tattered cargo shorts. You know, he's got like a, a ponytail that's sort of cigarette tobacco tinged at the back, but he has, but otherwise he's bald and he's burned from the sun and has scars. And he, you know, and he's holding a, you know, a, a cardboard sign and a paper cup and, you know, obviously a down and outer. So they're forced to come to a stop right with him, right beside beside them and Bernie reaches into the coffee holder you know the cup holder for you know for some bills some money and you know moves to hand it over to this guy and the guy says I can't take your money Bernie so that's where Bark to the Future started this Bernie doesn't recognize this person at all but he obviously knows Bernie and so that was the out of the blue idea and then I began to think after that, I do more of what I call the active thinking, where I'm trying to, okay, now, what kind of story can I build from this beginning? And I like the beginning a lot because it was kind of mysterious. 
but at the same time, it was rich in, in a lot of, I knew that there was going to be real, you know, human stuff in this book about people who were suffering and, and why they were suffering. And so I thought this guy that Bernie doesn't write, so Bernie, readers who know the series, he was an excellent high school athlete. He was a pitcher and it actually got him into West Point where he blew out his arm. So that was the end of his pitching career. And he had a military career and then law enforcement. And now he's a private eye, but he was a high school star. And they once played a big game, you know, for high school to get to the state championship. And Bernie was on the mound. It was the bottom of the ninth. They were up by one run. The other team had the bases loaded with two outs. And the batter hits a screamer into left center field. And this fleet-footed center fielder makes a diving catch and saves the day. That's the homeless guy with the paper cup. His name was Rocket Saluka, and he now looks like he's a generation older than Bernie, you know. And so Bernie try, you know, decides, you know, he wants to find out what's happened to him and wants to help him and actually takes him out for burgers. And then he's going to see him the next day and Rocket disappears. And so what happened to him, Bernie is forced to kind of rethink and go back to his old high school. And he realizes that all kinds of things were happening. He didn't even understand his own high school experience. Bad things were happening there that are still redounding in the valley and among some of the kids now grown up from that school. And so when you're putting this all together, you know, like you said, you came up with sort of the, the general idea, and then you look for a way to sort of expand it and tie it in. And then you have to sort of take it from there and create the mystery behind it, the disappearance. Now, for the readers, I mean, we know that about the high school days, the glory days, going to the state championship, had the character Rocket ever appeared or any reference to the play, the magical play that happened that you- Prior back- to this book, no. Yeah, no. So you had to go back and sort of recreate that part of it. And to me, it sort of ties it back in because when you've read the previous books and you know the history behind it, now all of a sudden you've got a character from the past that really never appeared in a past book. Yes. And that's an excellent point you raised him. There's a kind of core group. It's almost like the, the standard company, the stage company. But then there are lots of other characters who pop up from time to time. And then there are some who only pop up like in, in one book. And so far, I, and I'm pretty sure that's the kind of person Rocket would be. But what, what got me excited was, okay, high school. You know, I'm going to be able to write about high school now. And, you know, high school is a very intense time. I think it's way in, more intense than college. It's the first time you're, you know, tasting some freedom and you're, you know, you're separated from your family, but you're with a whole lot of peers. Then I, I haven't even mentioned the hormonal aspects that are going on, you know, that, and you're thrown together in a kind of weird society in many ways. And of course, don't leave out the teachers and the janitor and everything. So all these, some of these people from the past went in this high school, or including the janitor and the AP chem teacher, things they did back then are still having effect, you know, like the wave that started up and quite a dangerous one that is still kind of on the loose. And that's what Bernie kind of, you know, finds himself running into. And Chet, of course. Yes. And that's the fascinating part about it when you, you know, high school is obviously ingrained, whether we like it or not, or whether it was good or bad or indifferent, ingrained into our, our consciousness. And for some of us, uh, I know our producer Mark and myself, we have uh, reunions coming up that uh, I'd like to say it was 10 years ago, but maybe add another plus and some <laughs> things behind that. 
But when you tie in those high school things, yeah, your remembrance of high school, if you go back or if you meet with some of the uh, the teachers and the uh, friends and colleagues, uh, students, turns out oftentimes to be a lot different than what you had remembered in the past. Well, that's an excellent point. So some of the people who are on top are now not, and people who were just, you know, like little mice that you didn't even notice you know, suddenly have, you know, 300 foot yachts. And, you know, how did that happen? And so all that was just like meat for, you know, red meat for me with, you know, in the writing of this book. And, and then um, I thought of this physical object, a beautifully made switchblade knife, that's almost like the Maltese Falcon, the sort of course of it in various hands in the book, is something that, you know, Chad and Bernie, you know, are tracking. And then I, um, if readers have seen it, the, the cover, it shows Chet standing in front of the Slot Canyon. And the Slot Canyons are these beautiful, eerie, they're in Arizona and also right. Utah. And I mean, it's incredible that we have things of such beauty in this country, but they're also in a monsoon situation, you know, when they get those sudden rains, they flood incredibly dangerously because even though, I mean, they're, they're so narrow, right, that the water flowing through just piles up very high and maybe only for, you know, minutes, but, you know, way overhead height and it's flowing very fast. So they're extreme, can be extremely dangerous. And so I, I thought, okay, this, you know, a slot canyon and the high school is, it's going to play a role too. And that, you know, kind of allows me to get Chet and Bernie way out in dangerous kind of nature. And I like to have that in pretty much every one of the books. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, We'll come back and talk to our good pal, Spencer Quinn, a little bit more about the book, uh, Bark to the Future, as well as uh, his writing craft in general. Uh, We got a little teaser about how he puts this all together, or at least comes up with the great ideas and wants to see how he puts it all together. So everybody hang tight. You're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with uh, New York Times and USA Today bestselling author and our good pal Spencer Quinn. His latest book, Bark to the Future, a Chet and Bernie mystery series, of course. Spencer, you were talking about when you're before break coming up with the, the core concept, tying in some of the other pieces tying in the scenery, the location, the, the high school, and plus uh, tying in Chet and Bernie. 
to me, I look at this as, you know, this wonderful little cauldron you put together <laughs> or a soup pot and you put all these wonderful little ingredients in there. How do you trim it down? How do you size it up and, and make it uh, where at the end we get to uh, this beautiful mystery that we're, we're talking about and get to an ending? Because there's, there's a lot of things going on or could potentially going on to me as a novice could pull you in a lot of different directions. Well, that's, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time. And I kind of know to stay away from, okay, you can make huge errors in the writing of a book if you, if you go off track, you know, and sometimes it looks like it's going to be a really good idea, but you, re, you have to kind of think it through. Well, if, if I do this now, what will happen? You know, so you want to avoid going into box canyons in, in your writing. But one of the th- things that I think guides me is I think I've made this all sound way too hard <laughs> because, because I wouldn't do it if it was way too hard. I, um, what I have is going for this, for me in this, is the voice of Chet who tells the story. And this, I just love writing in this voice so much. And, and um, I think a lot of the humor that the readers respond to comes out of, you know, Chet's voice. And when I sit down to write in the morning and it's going to be in this voice I just feel it's all so fresh to me. I, I'm not tired of it at all. And I, you know, and Chet kind of, I just, it's almost like at times rather than plotting, I'm actually sort of following him around, you know, like just seeing this sort of case or this world through his eyes and actually not so much through his eyes, through his nose and through his ears, because those senses, you know, are more important. And, and when you apply that sort of description, you know, of smell and sound, to these mystery stories, it makes it quite different from all the others where they're, you know, mostly visual. This one is not. And so because Chet's strengths are, well, his strength, his greatest strength is his love for Bernie. And, and Bernie's greatest strength is his love right back for Chet. But as a detective, Chet's strengths are his wonderful sense of smell. So if, you know, if there's some kind of bad guy who is masquerading as a good guy and Bernie Phil is going to trust him, but Chet knows he, he can smell that he's got a recently fired firearm in his pocket. You know, we, the reader, are kind of ahead of Bernie, and Chet is really protecting him. And, and so I just, all the situations that develop through writing, through the, you know, the voice of Chet have really, it's like a wind at my back. So all the problems that you, you know, were alluding to, and there are, there are plenty, they just kind of, they just kind of fade away when I'm, you know, writing in this voice. So I'm very, very lucky in that. Absolutely. The question I've got, you know, the series has been uh, so successful and uh, continues on and will continue on. But the question I've got is, as a writer, do you find it is helpful that you've had uh, such a long history with this, these particular characters, uh, Chet and Bernie, or does it sometimes become a hindrance because there are expectations of what they do, or maybe even we alluded to earlier about fans coming back and say, well, you know, Chet would never do that, or Bernie would never do that. <laughs> or what about book number, even though they stand alone, what about, you know, this book or that book in the, in the series? Well, one thing I do have to do is remember what I've done before. And that's really important. And I'm terrible at it. So, you know, I'm, well, because, you know, we're talking probably now there are like a million words, something like that. So how, you know, I can't, if I had a kind of app 
that would just be following along and would go beep if, you know, if, and then just point <laughs> out where I had dealt with this before. But I don't have that app. And if there's anyone listening out there who can supply it, I'd be very, very interested. That would um, be good. That would be good. Book number three, page 420, yeah, <laughs> or 124. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's precisely <laughs> what I need. But I don't, you know, I think I'm very lucky because I have an aversion to repeating myself. I don't like to do the same thing twice. I might do a version of it or turn it a little bit, rotate it a little bit. And so you actually see what happened originally in a slightly different way. But I, I think I'm suited to, you know, doing a long series like this. And as I said before, the voice keeps it fresh for me. And as long as it's, you know, fresh for me, I think there's a good chance that it'll be fresh for the reader too. At least absolutely. I Yeah, absolutely. And I love, like we've said before, it's a Bark to the Future, another fantastic book. And it, it is part of this mystery series, but it's standalone. And, you know, I keep reiterating that as well because it's very true. You know, uh, they, anybody could pick up this particular book and read through it and obviously thoroughly enjoy it and not have to worry about what happened in the previous ones. Obviously, there's a lot of fans who want, you know, who's reading every single one of them. So uh, we've got to be cognizant of that too, but it's definitely a standalone mystery for sure. Yes, I don't want readers to feel any pressure about reading in a certain order or anything like that. Okay, these aren't cozies. They're in the middle somehow. There's no, you know, noirish things that happen for sure and dark things that happen as well. But one thing that, that readers have pointed out to me that Chet, you know, sometimes goes through tough times, but he bounces back to his reset position very quickly. And his reset position is one of joy in life. And I think if readers take that away from the series, that's, I'd be very happy. That's a perfect message. Perfect message. And that's a dog's life, right? Dogs it's don't let dog things life. get them down. They get back to the present moment and bring joy and happiness. And that's uh that's the key behind it. Well, Spencer, after uh, being a writer for uh, a minute or two in your life, <laughs> do you find your routines and how you go about crafting your, your gift, has it changed over the years? Has it modified or have you been pretty true to you know, whether your method is X number of words a day or 530 in, the, you know, in front of the computer or a long bike ride before you sit down? How do you feel that's changed over the years or has it stayed pretty consistent since it's been uh, so successful and it gets engraved? into maybe a routine i get quite a lot of physical exercise i you know either i ride my bike or i go to the gym or i play tennis most mornings before work so i get up i handle like social media thing because you know chet is on facebook and has a blog as well so i do i handle all that and then i you know go have a workout of some kind and then i come back and have like a late breakfast and then i get to work and i i actually do tim have a goal of i try to write a thousand words a day I hardly ever do it. I so I give myself kind of a goal that I can't meet. But I try to write, when I'm writing, I try to write at least pretty much every day. And even if I don't do a lot, at least I've advanced the story. So I'm not where I was before. And it just keeps building and keeps building. And eventually, it's like you're pushing a huge, heavy ball uphill. But eventually, you get to the top and it's moving on it under its own momentum. And, and that can happen, actually quite early in a book where suddenly you're launched and, and, and that's a great feeling. But if it doesn't happen early, I'm fine with it because when you've done it, this is much as I have you, I mean, you have confidence that you're going to be able to pull it all together. I mean, that, you know, it would be unrealistic not to after, you know, I've written more than 40 novels. So 
you know, no matter how dense I am and blockheady, I'm, I must have learned something. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And uh, listen to your inner dog, your inner Chet. That's always the key. Chet will never lead, lead you the wrong path. Exactly. Uh, or Bernie. Bernie's like the, you know, the sidekick to Chet. Chet rules everything. <laughs> oh, some, yes, you can't. You know, I, I introduce Chet, like when I'm talking about him, it's like the form of these mysteries is very much like Sherlock Holmes, going back to the very beginning of mystery fiction, you know, where Dr. Watson, who's the sidekick, tells the Sherlock Holmes stories in the first person. So Chet tells the stories in the first person, but he's, he can't really be called a sidekick. He's an equal partner and he sees himself and Bernie sees him that way too, actually. Yep. And that's what makes the team work so well. So that's fantastic. Well, Spencer, where can people find out more about uh, Bark to the Future, pick up a copy, any events or any online events that's going to happen? Uh, Obviously, everything is posted on Chet's Facebook page. So it's Facebook slash Chet the Dog. And then Chet also has a blog, ChetTheDog.com. And so all the information, you know, when there's going to be an appearance or any online thing, those are, you know, they're, they're there for that and um yeah so yeah and the book is out and uh, on the loose (laughs) fantastic we'll we'll make sure we get that posted as well as the uh the interview but everybody pick up a copy of the uh latest in the uh, chet and bernie mystery series by spencer quinn arc to the future and uh, another wonderful job by you spencer we really appreciate it and i really appreciate you coming back on the show it's always good to hear from you and uh, you know i do consider you a master of your craft so i was like picking your brain a little bit about the whole writing process Well, thank you, and thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, If you have any ideas, comments, questions, uh, or just want to let us know who you want to hear from most, drop us a line at PetLifeRadio.com. While you're there, check out the uh, wide variety of entertainment and host all the wonderful shows. It's a cornucopia of great animal and entertainment fun, we'll put it that way. It's at PetLifeRadio.com. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a uh, book or blog, an article, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Everybody have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.